Here's the deal with the recall of Gavin Newsom. We've seen Trump Republicans across the country attacking election results and the right to vote. Now they're coming to grab power in California, abusing the recall process and costing taxpayers millions. Here's how we stop them. Every Californian will get a mail-in ballot for the September 14th election. Vote no to protect California and our democracy. Stop the Republican recall. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, August the 11th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, voting. Speeches from three Senate Democrats in the middle of the night. I'll be playing those speeches for you if you were not up in the middle of the night. And... Afghanistan, exactly one month from today. United States military personnel will be leaving Afghanistan entirely. The Afghan people will have to fend for themselves, the U.S. says. But what does this say about Joe Biden's foreign policy? And the U.S. governments at large. All of that coming up next. Welcome back. Dear listener, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued loyalty. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search The Politocrat Daily Podcast and you will get the channel and please subscribe to it. Lots of video uh, available, plus uh, some clips of some of the past episodes that will be available on there too for you to look at. So there you go on that one. And also as well, I make it a point please to subscribe to the podcast as well and tell all your friends about the Politocrat Daily Podcast, please. Thank you so very much again for your loyalty. Before I continue, I want to say that I will be giving away some books. I've been talking about this now for the last few weeks and yesterday or the day before I has said that next week would be one of those giveaways, and I will um, announce it a little bit later on this week. I think uh, probably toward the end of the week I will do that announcement, but I definitely want to say that there will be at least three book giveaways during the course of this month on the Politocrat Daily Podcast as we close out summer. Ah, Yeah, I know, I know. Summer's almost over, isn't it? I keep saying, you know, I tweeted the... Uh, James Bolden quote, you know, summer has scarcely begun, but I feel as if it's already over. And I mean, my God, here we are. It's almost over. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. That's absolute nuts, but it's true. Summer is almost done. And as we are approaching the middle of August already, and my goodness me, that means just what, roughly almost three weeks, about three weeks from now, it's Labor Day. And that well and truly is summer dead and gone, kaput, it's over. And I mean, officially it's over, what, the 22nd or 21st of September? But my gosh, for all intents and purposes, 
it's over when Labor Day comes. And then you've got NFL if you're an NFL fan. And then you've got all this other stuff. And then the winter sports come in. And it really is gone. You know, summer's basically gone now. I mean, what kind of summer is this anyway with all of the things that are going on and certainly climate and environment and global warming and all these things. I mean, it doesn't feel like a real summer, does it? It feels like something very, very odious and bizarre, as does the rest of the world affairs that we have all been absorbing and experiencing, including this pandemic. So anyway, um, before I get too far afield here, I just want to say I'm going to be giving away um, a book next week. There are at least a few of them. One of them will be, I can reveal, uh, one of the books will be the latest book from Alexander Vindman. You may remember who that is for those of you who do not. Alexander Vindman was a very loyal uh, U.S. Uh, military person. I forget what his exact rank was. I think Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, he served with distinction and he stood up to the previous occupant of the White House. And for that, he was ostracized and, uh, I guess, forced to resign or was fired from his job or something like that. I mean, it's the story is incredibly fuzzy, strangely enough for me now. And I should know this about Alexander Vindman. He testified against him, of course, uh, against the, you know, the piece of garbage that left the White House. Testified against him. Uh, I think it was during the impeachment inquiry or whichever. I mean, there's so many inquiries against this piece of garbage. Um, that I'm losing track of which one, but he did, or whether, or it may have been at the, um, yeah, I think it was the house, the house impeachment inquiry. Um, but the point is, is that Alexander Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman has come out with a book. I'll be giving that away. Um, so I will announce details more specifically, um, coming up in the next few days. And then there's at least two other books as well. One of them, well, I can reveal, will be, uh, well, I don't want to reveal. I mean, I think I've already hinted, I've already told you in previous episodes which book it's going to be or which one I'm considering. So let me just leave that for now. Let's just concentrate on the first book that I will be giving away. Um, and as I said, I'll I'll give you some more details about that toward the end of this week and what the specific uh, rules are to be eligible to win this book. So here we are on this Wednesday hump day, or as I call it, whole ass day. Every day is whole ass day. You've got a whole ass. You've got to bust it. You've got to work hard. Um, make sure you relax as well. Make sure that you have time for yourself. Make sure that you do your 15 minute to half hour run or walk every day or every three or three days a week. Um, it's You've got to do this for your mental health especially. Especially now, and if you're going to go out there and take a walk or run, wear a mask. I know it's difficult perhaps to run with a mask. I do it though. I've mastered it now. You know, there was a time when I would go very early and run and not wear a mask because I thought, oh, well, you know, no one's around. And then I'd always, you know, well, not always, but then from time to time, I'd actually come across other runners. Even though it was very, very early in the morning. And I thought, you know, no. I don't care if there's nobody around. I'm wearing a freaking mask. And so for the last God knows how many months now, it's been a long time. I've been running with a mask on, even when there's no one around. Because you just don't know. And why not keep yourself safe? Why not? Why not try to the best of your ability to do that? It doesn't hurt. 
And it just takes time to get used to how you run with it, how you breathe, your cadence, your breathing cadence, your rhythm. And by the way, by the time you get used to that, it will be automatic. It won't take that long. Well, it depends on who you are, but it really won't take that long, even on depending on who you are. And then you forget, you absolutely forget that you're doing this. You know, it's it's second nature. So there's that. Please wear a mask. Please get vaccinated. I want to talk about vaccinations, not tonight uh, in this episode or today in this episode or this afternoon in this episode, whenever you are listening to this. Um, I, I just don't want to do that tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I mean, whenever it's going to be, I'm going to talk about vaccination again and how important it is. And also we'll be putting out some videos about it as well, because I do think now that it's got to be all hands on deck with this. Um, every, and I talked about this, I think yesterday, the day before there is, I, I, I've had it with the people who were in the hospitals, you know, talking about, oh yeah, this is real. Yeah, motherfucker, we've been telling you that for only a year and a half now. <laughs> you have to actually get sick first before you believe us. I mean, good grief. I mean, so no, I'm not going to um, send out any more tweets or stories or tell you any more stories of people who were you know, vehemently against getting vaccinated only for them to be, you know, telling you that you should get vaccinated. No, I'm not going to go there anymore. I told you I've had enough of it. But what I will do is I will relay stories about people who have been telling you, whether on social media or otherwise, that their relatives have succumbed to this virus or something else. You know, I will tell you those stories. But not not, not on this episode. Now, I think I, I think I should just move on to um, the events of this day and the ones I'm going to concentrate on at least. And I'm going to start with Afghanistan first. You know, um, Afghanistan was a complete disaster for the United States and for the Afghani and the Afghan people. And it's going to remain that way for the foreseeable future. The, troop, the uh, withdrawal of United States military personnel is going to happen exactly one month from today on September 11th, 2021. And President Biden announced that date a few weeks ago. And I, I, I tell you, I was not happy when I heard about this. I may not have fully registered that, but I was not happy, at least not on on this podcast, perhaps. But I have been critical of President Biden on foreign policy. Foreign policy, excuse me, is his strongest point, but it's also his weakest point because look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing. The striking, the, the strikes against Syria earlier in the year on Valentine's Day or Valentine's night. Nobody in the United States seemed to give a rat's ass that he did this. Um, what's been going on with Russia's oil pipeline where the Biden administration and President Biden have looked the other way. I don't know what happened when President Biden met with Vladimir Putin back in June in, um, I think, in Switzerland, in Geneva. What happened to that when those talks? Did he tell Putin that he was going to look the other way on this pipeline? I mean, this pipeline is so detrimental, but no, he's looked the other way and Russia's doing what they're doing. And it's hurting Ukraine, by the way. 
So I don't know what kind of foreign policy this is, but it really doesn't help. And it flies in the face of all we've been telling you about the IPCC report that I talked about yesterday or the day before, about how bad this situation with climate change is and what human beings are doing to make it worse. And the human beings are the cause of this. I've talked about that infinitum. And then there was a memo that came out or a press release today or maybe yesterday uh, from the White House talking about OPEC needs to do this. Then more capacity, more oil capacity is necessary. And it was just a veiled but also very explicit way of telling OPEC, look, please, you need to pump some more oil, more oil. And it's like, my gosh, this is what's contributing to the environment getting worse. And you claim that you want to be the environmentalist president. I don't think he ever said that. But my gosh, talking about, oh, we need to deal with uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And look what he's doing. His, the White House sends out a statement. Oh, yes, we need to OPEC and we may not have any real relationship, but you've got to do. I mean, I'm not going to read out the, the memo. I've tweeted it or retweeted it on uh, Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. It's just madness that the, the idea that the uh, Biden administration can get away with this. It's just harebrained and crazy. And Afghanistan, there was an oil pipeline going through there, too, by the way, um, is a real issue now because it's a failure and it's a failure on the behalf of the United States. And you should never have gone in there in the first place. The place was rubble. Okay, the Taliban were making life hard for people to say the least. But really, the place had no real standing. I mean, it was rubble when the U.S. bombed it 20 years ago. And they're going after Osama bin Laden. And the idea is, well, he's in Afghanistan. And it was just crazy. And, then, and they never got him. They apparently cornered him in the mountains and caves of Tora Bora. Then somehow he, they let him go or they slipped through their hands or what. And then it took another, what, 10 years to get him? Or eight years or whatever it was. 10 years to get him. 2011, I think it was. Or 2009, I forget which. I always get that mixed up. I think it was 2011. May the 1st, 2011. Or May the 1st, 2009. I forget. Um, Probably 2011, though. I get the feeling. That would have been Obama's first term. So, you know, it's been... It's been a it's been a colossal fuck up. It really has been. And the net effect now is that we do what we do best when it comes to the United States foreign policy, and that's we invade, we destroy, and then we leave and tell the people who we've invaded and pretty much destroyed, you're on your own now. Good luck. Good friggin' luck. Bye. And then we leave. Or the U.S. leaves. I won't say we, because it's not. I'm not part of that. I'm a taxpayer, but I'm not the person making those decisions to leave. And and then the United States leaves, leaves a place in rubble, in tatters, in consternation, in trouble from the Taliban, who have already um, captured a number of of areas of Afghanistan. Oh, the Afghan people will fight back. We believe in them. I mean, great. That's going to be a lot of help, President Biden. Way to go. And this happened with the Kurds, remember? 
Remember this with uh, April Glaspie and remember this with um, George H.W. Bush. The Kurds will determine their own future and it's time for them to rise up to get. And, and, and what happened to the Kurds? They got slaughtered, got slaughtered. Uh, this is American foreign policy at work and it's destructive and dangerous. And the U.S. foreign policy has been a disaster all over the world. We all know that. No one wants to admit it, but it's true. Well, people do want to admit it, but usually behind closed doors and not on microphones like this or podcasts like this. But the issue here is that you do have President Biden using foreign policy, which again is a strong point. But gosh, if that's a strong point, my goodness me, um, You've got President Biden doing this, and it's really uh, something that has not been supported. And I, I will take, for example, someone from across the pond who actually is presently in New Haven, Connecticut. I want you to listen to Rory Stewart, the former member of parliament and a former conservative from the UK House of Commons, a former conservative here he is on BBC Newsnight. I want you to listen to this from sometime last week. Listen to what Rory Stewart had to say about this whole Afghanistan situation. Well, very, very sadly, what we're seeing now is very similar to what I saw 20 years ago, just at the end of the Taliban period, which is all these figures, many of whom were associated with uh, the Soviet wars. So these are now old men, have set their militias up around the country. These were people that... Ten years ago, people wanted to get out of government, have now had to be brought back by President Ghani himself because the Afghan army and the Afghan police isn't being able to step up. But the, the central truth of this is that this is not a long-term thing. This is a completely unnecessary problem which has been caused by President Biden's reckless decision to withdraw U.S. and other NATO support so suddenly. Since... 2016, there haven't been combat operations in Afghanistan. It's been a relatively low-cost intervention from the point of view of the US and the UK. We could have maintained it for many years to come. And essentially, over the last two months, we've pulled the rug out from underneath the Afghan people. And it's a terrible, terrible tragedy and shame. And yeah, that's absolutely right. Rory Stewart, absolutely on the money here with his assessment about what has happened and what is happening with Afghanistan and uh, President Biden absolutely on the wrong side here. And look, I think uh, to correct myself from earlier on a previous episode, I think I was saying it's about time we left. We meaning the United States, it was about time. Um, and I said then also that it was a disaster, but I think I've had a bit of an about face on the about time we left thing. We should never have been there in the first place. That's one thing I did say on my on a previous episode uh, a few weeks ago that I did about Afghanistan. We should never have been there. You know, where did where did Osama bin Laden end up? Pakistan was he always in Pakistan? We don't know that he wasn't right. We, do we have evidence that he was ever in the tour, the, the caves of Tora Bora? Did you ever see photos of this? I mean, I, I look, I mean, I'm not. Conspiracy theorists are not my kinds of persons. What I try to do is get people, including myself, to think critically. You know? And was what happened on 9 11 used to justify trying to 
get some oil pipeline or some oil or something in Afghanistan? Of course, maybe that's the case. Maybe it wasn't. You know, I shouldn't jump to conclusions on this. But it doesn't make a lot of sense. And this withdrawal now is shambolic. It's shambolic. Whatever I said a few weeks ago kind of is still in play for as far as I think about this and where I stand. But then some of it's not. And the some of it that is not is the now you're telling Afghan people, oh, you're going to fight for yourself. You're going to fend for yourselves. And you just heard Rory Stewart, who, by the way, uh, former conservative member of parliament in the House of Commons in the UK, and also was somebody who ran for mayor of London until he, I think, disqualified himself shortly after the pandemic began. I think at that point in 2020, he said, I'm out of here and I withdraw my candidacy. And plus the election got postponed, obviously, a year until this year. And back in April or May of this year, Sadiq Khan won a second term, which would only be three years now because he served the one extra year um, when the election was postponed from 2020. So Rory Stewart was out of the mix anyway. So he had run for mayor. It was a brief London mayor run for him. And now he is a professor at Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. And so that's where he is now. And, you know, I just, I, you know, and by the way, he ran for Tory leadership in 2019, the Conservative leadership in England, unsuccessfully there. I think he survived the first two ballots, maybe the first three ballots before he got bounced out. And people were beginning to think, including myself, that he might actually have a chance. And I was actually, you know, I'm, I'm not a conservative. I'm a Labour Party person. And I was rooting for Rory Stewart to actually get through because I actually thought of all the people there, as toxic as the Tories are, I think he was by far the least toxic, even though there's some things about Rory Stewart and his policies I'm not a fan of at all. I do think, though, that he is someone who engages in critical thinking and someone who also has a global perspective, which is, I think, what we all need. I've said this many times. I think we need a global perspective. We are citizens of the world. I'm not a um, subscriber to the idea of, well, you're, your passport's here in this country and once you leave the other country, you're no longer a part of that. Oh, no, I don't buy that nonsense. We are a part of the world as long as we are alive. We are part of the world and therefore citizens of the world. When we travel from one country to another, COVID or not COVID, we are still human beings and we're still part of this earth, of this planet, of this solar system, of this world. So we are citizens of the world. Right. So this, oh, well, you know, you've left this country. You're no longer. It's just ridiculous. Oh, you're no longer a New Yorker because you don't live here. It's like, no, once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. Once a, a Londoner, always a Londoner. I don't buy this. Oh, now you moved away and oh, you have this. It's like so provincial and so narrow. You're a sum of your whole of all your experiences. What do you mean? Oh, you're, you're no longer a New Yorker. You know, it's just nonsense. It's just so, you know, it's ridiculous. Let's just put all these little fences up between us all. You're no longer this. You're no longer that. You're no, just, where are you really from? You know, that's one of the things in England that 
a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a percentage of white Englanders will ask you is, especially if you're black, oh, where are you really from? Oh, you're not from here. You're really, and none, of, none of these motherfuckers are from, uh, from England originally. Everybody's from somewhere else. We're all from somewhere. We all have, if we go back in our family tree, some of us can't go back that far. We're all originated from the African continent. Don't tell anybody. It's a secret just between you and me, dear listener. <laughs> it, it's just, just silly. It, it's all of this needing to feel so-called superior. And you don't. You're superior to your own backside. It's just ridiculous. Ooh, ooh. It's all this artificial division to make you feel better. To make those persons feel better about themselves. Somehow. Because they think they're English, 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 English. It's just silly. Everybody in England has, if they look at their family tree, goes back to another country, goes back to a different continent. It's just silly. It's just silly. Nobody is pure, pure English. That's just bullcrap. And why would you want to be pure, pure, pure anything? You can't be. Not with what has happened in history. It's impossible. Anyway, back to what I was saying about Rory Stewart. <laughs> the point is, is that we are all citizens of the world and, glo- and globally we should have this perspective about ourselves, about the world we live in and about the people in the world. A global perspective really does help so we get to see a clearer picture of our own country and other countries and the planet at large. And Rory Stewart, I think, is one of those persons. Um, I think he's more of an older school conservative, although he's a very young looking person. Um, Rory Stewart is someone, I think, who um, has a more reasoned and layered approach to things, which you don't find in a lot of these political parties anywhere in the world anymore, really. There's a few exceptions, maybe some Democrats here in the United States, perhaps. But for the most part, no nuance, no layering, no nothing. And um, Roy Stewart, you know, I thought made a lot of sense in that clip you just heard from BBC Newsnight from last week, where he said those things. And of course, it's not being forensically examined here. I'd be surprised if it were. But President Biden has bungled this. And it's not just a bungling, it's deliberate. And this is just not going to look good. It's not going to look good for anybody, particularly the Afghan people. The Afghanis, the Afghan people are going to be the ones getting the short end of the stick. And we tell every, every successive president says, go fight, you'll fight, fight on. They'll have the capability. And they don't. You just heard Rory Stewart. Afga- the Afghanis do not have the capability. Their armies are weakened, all this. And, and you've got Biden saying and other people saying, fight on. It's just ridiculous. You're leaving them there to die, just like the previous uh, knucklehead, the knucklehead uh, that was in there previously withdrew United States forces from the Turkish-Syrian border. And you know what happened? ISIS came in and boom. You know, basically that was that. It was just crazy. And, you know, ISIS was able to, and they were prisoners, right? And so there was no, there was no uh, U.S. supervision of the border and no U.S. supervision of what was going on in these detainee camps where ISIS people had been caught and ISIS people ended up turning around and getting out of there and killing the Syrians who had tracked them and imprisoned them and detained them. 
It's just it's just crazy what we do abroad. And I think that, as I've said before, foreign policy informs what happens domestically, not the other way around. What we do in foreign policy is exactly what we do domestically. Or I should say, what we do domestically is reflected by our foreign policy. It's from the outside in, not the inside out. And that's something that a lot of people in the United States don't think about very much, I don't think. They don't look at it very much or examine it. Because why examine anything beyond the United States of America, I ask you, facetiously. But that's the view, you know, and that's the reality. And I think that Roaster is absolutely right. It is much cheaper to keep uh, forces in Afghanistan. It is. In fact, it's, it's more expensive to have um, United States forces in Germany and in and all these other countries than it is to do the same in Afghanistan. As you heard Rory Stewart say, relatively low-level operations. There, weren't, there wasn't any combat. There's been none for five years in Afghanistan. Why on earth would you withdraw then? Obviously, if you're keeping the pieces working... I just don't get it. It's just really boneheaded from President Biden. It's not the first boneheaded move he's made in his first uh, seven and a half months of um, time in office. It's not the first one. And I don't think it will be the last. But this is, you know, it's really, really troubling to me because I think that you're going to hear a lot about Afghanistan being completely destroyed and taken over by the Taliban and it's not stopping. So... President Biden has opened the door to all of this death that's going to be happening over the next few weeks and months. And it's just not going to be a pretty picture for anyone. Here's the deal with the recall of Gavin Newsom. We've seen Trump Republicans across the country attacking election results and the right to vote. Now they're coming to grab power in California, abusing the recall process and costing taxpayers millions. Here's how we stop them. Every Californian will get a mail-in ballot for the September 14th election. Vote no to protect California and our democracy. Stop the Republican recall. Early today, around, I don't know, it was one in the morning, perhaps uh, Pacific time, I'm not quite sure. Or was it one Eastern? I, I, I do not remember. Um, all I know is, is that in the middle of the night, early this morning, the $3.5 trillion budget uh, initiative bill, I guess it was, was passed in the United States Senate Along party lines, 50 Democrats and 49 Republicans, 50 Democrats voting yes, 49 Republicans voting no. It was a straight up and down vote. And one Republican senator, Mike Rounds, did not vote. So that was the bill that got passed through. And there were three speeches, by the way, that if you weren't up very early this morning or very late last night, depending on where you are, uh, in the United States or where you are in the world. You, know, you might have been up in the middle of the afternoon and you might have been watching C-SPAN. I don't know. <laughs> if you are out in Japan, perhaps that's what you were doing. Or if you were on the African continent or somewhere else, 
or in France, maybe you were watching C-SPAN. But the point of the matter is that there were three speeches, there were loads of speeches by people on the Senate floor after this vote that came through in the middle of the night. And, you know, a lot of the most important things that get done in government do happen in the middle of, an, of the night while you are sleeping. And one of them were the three speeches that I'm going to be playing for you that really make up the balance of this episode. And it's really going to be a prelude or part of a prelude to a two-part series, including this portion of this episode. You can call this part one. Although I've been talking about this for a number of weeks now and a number of episodes. Voting rights and how... This is going to be something we follow very, very closely. I'll certainly be following it very, very closely, as will some of you, I'm sure, and, and, and many other people will, not just in the United States, but everywhere beyond. And this is really important because I talked about Afghanistan in the first block and said that exactly a month from now, um, the United States forces will be removed, will leave Afghanistan, leaving the Afghan people to fend for themselves. Oh, gosh. I just see bloodshed all written all over that. And tomorrow, Thursday, August the 12th, 2021, you are going to see a very important um, census uh, information uh, from 2020 be released about redistricting maps and all kinds of things. This is going to be very, very important because it really does determine how these districts are going to be drawn or are drawn uh, in time for next year's election. So this is so critical tomorrow. And this information will be released. And I'll be talking about it in tomorrow's episode. Because it's just so important. But what I want to talk about in this episode. is As I close out this particular episode of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. And again dear listener thank you very much. Is these three speeches that were given during the middle of the night. And very important ones I think. Because they really do, and they're all by Democratic United States senators, and they all do really spell out what the issues are. You're going to hear from, if memory serves me correctly, first the Senate Majority Leader, Charles Schumer, the Democrat out of New York. Then you are going to be hearing from the Democratic Senator out of Oregon, Jeff Merkley, one of the more progressive senators in the United States Senate. And then you're finally going to be hearing from Sheldon Whitehouse, the Democratic senator out of Rhode Island. Remember, you may remember that just a few short weeks ago, Senator Whitehouse was confronted about his membership in an all-white country club. And, you know, he kind of hemmed and hawed about it and said, oh, we're going to look into it and all this. I don't know if he's withdrawn his membership yet, but... Um, I remember a few weeks ago that that was an issue for him and I have not checked back since to see if it still is an issue for him because they were calling, people were calling for him and I would be one of them too to um, no longer be a member at a, a racist ass club like this or any kind of racist ass club. So um, that is uh, neither here nor there at least beyond the purposes of what I'm about to introduce um, but you're going to be hearing from Sheldon Whitehouse um, uh, as the third person speaking. Um, and see, he, he, he in particular has some really important things to say. So these three speeches, I'm going to, I'm going to play for you. Um, 
And there will be, I think, uh, maybe a break or two in between. Um, but uh, you have to hear these. You really do. And I think the less that I say, the better. I think they speak volumes. And also there's an important mention of how the United States Supreme Court has really shaped all of this over the last 10, 11, 12 years. But first of all, you've got to hear this from Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And um, we'll go from there. First, Chuck Schumer on voting rights. This is in the middle of the night, early this morning, on the floor of the United States Senate on Wednesday, August the 11th, 2021. Take it away, Chuck. So Democrats have tried to do something very simple. We asked the Senate to start debate, just debate, on legislation to protect voting rights and strengthen our democracy. Republicans said no. Democrats are asked to debate a measure, Democrats asked to debate a measure just to prevent partisan gerrymandering. And I'm frankly, in my colleague's response, he was all over the lot. It's good to have politicians do it. It's not good to have politicians do it. It's good to have judges do it. It's not good to have judges do it. We would set standards to make sure that in a state like Wisconsin, where 53% of the people voted for a Democratic member of the state assembly, only a third of the districts were Democratic, drawn by a Republican legislature. So Republicans have said no, they don't even want to debate these issues. Democrats asked to debate the measure to bring much needed transparency to campaign donations and get special interest dark money out of politics. Republicans still said no. So let there be no mistake about what is going on here. We have reached a point in this chamber where Republicans appear to oppose any measure, any measure, no matter how common sense, to protect voting rights and strengthen our democracy. Let there be no mistake, both inside this chamber and outside of it. Republicans have formed a wall, a total wall, of opposition against progress on voting rights in the United States Senate. Even on an issue as sacred as the right to vote, Senate Republicans refuse to allow even a debate. They're afraid to debate it. Yesterday morning, we saw what it looks like when the Senate comes together. This is what it looks like when it doesn't. Apparently, there are very serious and important limits to bipartisanship. There are some issues where Republicans refuse to join us in good faith to make progress for our country. I never thought I'd see the day when voting rights which used to be supported in a bipartisan way as recently as 2006, would be one of those issues. But that's what we have come to, total Republican intransigence when it comes to simple measures to make our democracy more perfect and strengthen the hand of the individual voter. Now, let me be clear. Republicans refusing to support anything on voting rights is not an excuse for Democrats to do nothing. In recent weeks, I have met with a number of Democratic senators. Senators Klobuchar in Merkley, Manchin and Warnock in Padilla, Kane, King, and Tester, and Manchin, to discuss a compromise voting rights bill. We've made a great deal of progress on that legislation. We had a very good meeting as late recently as yesterday afternoon, and we intend to rally around it. So tonight, I am filing cloture on a vehicle to allow the Senate to take up the compromise voting rights bill. Voting rights, voting rights, 
will be the first matter of legislative business when the Senate returns to session in September. Our democracy demands no less. I yield the floor. Mr. President, Senator from Oregon. We have the privilege to come to this floor and examine issues important to every American. And what could be more important than the fundamental right to participate in the guidance of our country, to be able to cast a ballot. Now that ballot box, it's the pulsating heart of our republic. In fact, it's 56 years ago, just a couple days ago, that President Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And what did he say? He said it's wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any American the opportunity to vote. Well, what was deadly wrong in 1965 is deadly wrong in 2021. It's hard to believe that over 50 years, over half a century has passed, and we're reverting to that period before 1965, where there was a systematic effort to target specific groups of voters and prevent them from going to the poll. And we all know how this worked. On election day, there'd be fewer precinct voting locations in those areas you didn't want to vote. And they would be understaffed so that there would be long lines. Or their voting machines would be out of order. Or they would change the location every two years so people would be confused about where to go. Or they would locate them where there was no parking. All of these things deliberately aimed at preventing black Americans from voting and preventing other communities of color from voting. Well, today we're seeing in state after state after state, an expanded version of this, not just targeting black Americans and other communities of color, but also targeting poor communities and college students. And we see these laws unfolding in just the recent months. I would expect a hundred of our colleagues here to stand up and defend the ballot box. Aren't we long removed from those days of that racist past? but apparently not. So some of us have to stand up and say, we are going to stand up for the vision of our Constitution, where all men and women are created equal, and every man and woman has a right to participate in the guidance of this country. You know, we know that in the founding of our country, we had a beautiful vision imperfectly formed, that black Americans, Native Americans, Women were not allowed to vote. We fixed those things over time. We've progressed in an arc to full opportunity. And that's what we're fighting for now. Full opportunity of every citizen to have a full measure of what it means to be a participant in a republic. Oh, there's much more in this bill to mend the assault on equal representation through the diabolical gerrymandering denied to bias the outcome for one party over the other. And certainly to keep billionaires from buying elections 
And when we ask people around the country, independents, Democrats, Republicans, they all say, we do not want billionaires to buy elections. We do not want equal representation destroyed by diabolical gerrymandering. And we want every citizen to have access to the ballot box. But in this chamber, suddenly, the views of the Republicans across this country are forgotten by my Republican colleagues across the aisle. In that thirsty quest for power, they're willing to violate the fundamental principles that inspire our nation. And it is wrong, deadly wrong today, as it was in 1965. Thank you, Mr. President. Rhode Island. Word on dark money. When the Republican justices on the Supreme Court opened the floodgates of unlimited money in the disgraceful Citizens United decision, that suddenly made something new very important. And that was to hide who you are when you're spending the money. If the biggest check you can write is $5,000, there's no great premium in hiding who you are. When you can write a $5 million check to back a candidate, suddenly hiding who you are becomes extremely valuable and salient. So suddenly this became very real. But those justices who had opened the door to unlimited money, when they made that decision, in order to justify that decision, they had to say that the spending had to be transparent. Otherwise, the Citizens United decision would not have worked in the constitutional scheme. They had to say that. But for the next decade, what did they do about it? Case after case came before them where the dark money problem was raised. We rode through a billion dollars in dark money being spent in our elections. This was on the front page of the newspaper. This was being done in plain view. And what did the Republican justices on the Supreme Court do to enforce their own stated requirement of transparency? Not one thing. And so we have had a decade of corruption of government by billionaire interests who can hide who they are and operate through an enormous phalanx of phony front groups whom they have stood up. And if you want to know how real this is, look at what we have had to do in the reconciliation measure to address climate change. Because when I got here, there were Republicans willing to address climate change. We had bill after bill in the Senate that were bipartisan and serious and sincere. That stopped dead in January of 2010 when Citizens United was decided, the dark money spigots opened, the fossil fuel industry behind them enforced compliance across the entire Republican Party. If you crossed the fossil fuel industry on climate change, you were Bob Inglis, you were out, you were done. If you lined up with them and did what they said, in came tens of millions of dollars in dark money to support you. It was a devil's bargain, and it cost us a lost decade on climate change, and now we have to go forward, sadly, in a partisan way to solve this problem, 
That is the pressure of dark money in our politics. It is behind the capture of the Supreme Court. It is behind voter suppression. This is demonstrable stuff. And we've got to put an end to it. And it is a tragedy and a disgrace that we can't go to cleaning up the dark money mess. My Republican colleagues and their dark money groups are actually at the point now where they're accusing us of taking dark money. They're accusing Democrats of being dark money party. Well, we just settled that question tonight. Democrats want to clean it up. They want to protect it. It's as simple as that. That's all you need to know. I yield the floor. That was what happened early on August the 11th. That's right. For those of you listening to this in the future, August 11th, 2021, early on that morning, those three speeches, I think, were three of the most important speeches of this calendar year thus far in U.S. politics, at least, at least on the Senate floor of the United States. And the United States Senate saw the these these three speeches and my goodness me, the, the, especially the speech from Sheldon Whitehouse, I found Senator Whitehouse to be especially instructive about what the United States Supreme Court has been doing to bring all of this about when it comes to voting. The United States Supreme Court, and I've talked about this before, dear, dear listener, has played an active role. Talk about judicial activism. This conservative United States Supreme Court has brought about a lot of this anti-voting. I talked about it with the 2013 decision, Shelby versus Holder which was um, not mentioned by Senator Whitehouse, but the decision before that that was mentioned by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse that was very important as well was Citizens United. And he talked about it there, as you heard, and Citizens United was absolutely key to all of what we've got going on now with the so-called dark money interest. And it's not even so-called, it's very real. And I've mentioned dark money before, and I've talked about Jane Mayer, who is an investigative reporter for the New York Magazine. And she is, I mean, she's just been brilliant for so long. Um, actually, I think it's New Yorker Magazine, excuse me, Jane Mayer will, um, will correct me, I'm sure. It's New Yorker Magazine. And uh, Jane Mayer has written some excellent things about this, not only in the New Yorker Magazine, but in her own book entitled Dark Money, which I actually am looking at a copy of, right as I say these words to you, dear listener. And I highly recommend that book. And her last name is spelled M-A-Y-E-R, and her first name, Jane, is the, col- is the common spelling. You have to read that book, and it talks about all of these forces that are the ones responsible for throwing all this money behind Republican Party candidates. It's absolutely frightening, actually. And Senator Whitehouse outlines all of that. Um, Well, not all of it, but he outlines some of that in these speeches, in the speech you you just heard. And not only that, you heard it very clearly how he said the tenor of Washington, D.C., especially the United States Senate and the whole 
relationship between these two political parties changed dramatically in January of 2010. Hey, presto, that was the year and the month that the United States Supreme Court decided Citizens United. It was a really consequential decision. These are, again, the two decisions of the last 11 or 12 years that have proven to be very consequential decisions when it comes to politics and the vote and money are definitely Citizens United and Shelby V. Holder. I mean, those two decisions together have absolutely destroyed voting in this country. And not to mention, of course, all the um, efforts that have come after that with all of these Republican anti-voting bills. And of course, none of that would be possible without Shelby V. Holder. I mean, that decision in June of 2013 was absolutely devastating and critical at the same time to these anti-voting efforts by Republicans. And what we're going to see tomorrow is a very, very important release of census data and information that is going to um, shape these U.S. House districts. And it's going to be absolutely I mean, this is going to be very, very important. I'm going to be talking about this on tomorrow's episode, Thursday's episode, because it, this is going to be a very consequential day as well um, when that gets released tomorrow. So please stick around for Thursday's edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast as well. And um, you have to listen to it because I think you're going to see and you're going to hear just how impactful this is going to be ahead of the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election. And would you believe it already feels like the presidential elections here? You know, I, I said at the beginning how summer is is, is pretty much gone now. Um, you can say that the 2024 election is almost here. Certainly the 2022 election is. Let's not move past the midterms because those are first and are going to be very important indeed. And of course, here in California, we're going to have a California recall election, which is an absolute waste of money. The early voting begins on Monday, would you believe, August the 16th. Oh my goodness me, we're almost there. So I'll be talking about that some more and a few other things as well coming up in the next day or so. Um, but don't forget to Keep tuning into this podcast. I really want to thank you for your time and your dedication and your abide, you know, your, uh, you know, your um, abiding loyalty. You know, um, it, it's just greatly appreciated. I really do appreciate you. Don't forget also to visit the store while you are at it. Visit the Politocrat Daily Podcast store, won't you? Online at the dash politocrat dot my shopify dot com. The Summer Sensation series continues on with some more items to come very soon. So please shop right now at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. All three of those speeches, I'm really um, glad that I could have played those for you because I I think all three of them have a lot of value. So thank you very much for listening. And... uh, Again, be good to each other and educate each other. It's something that we all must do. Let's share this knowledge and let's get politically active 
so that we can have a better future for the next generation and the generation to follow that. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.